All right, so before we get started today, you should know that that isn't me. So growing up, my mom was convinced that playing video games would fry my brain. The only access to gaming for me was Jeremy Katz's garage. Jeremy was definitely the troublemaker in my neighborhood, but he always had the best video games. And ice pops, but that's beside the point. I remember sneaking off to play Super Mario Brothers with him, and I think that since then my knowledge of video games has mostly been through osmosis. Alright, so before we get started today, you should know that that isn't me. So growing up, my mom was convinced that playing video games would fry my brain. The only access to gaming for me was Jeremy Katz's garage. Jeremy was definitely the troublemaker in my neighborhood, but he always had the best video games. And ice pops, but that's beside the point. I remember sneaking off to play Super Mario Brothers with him, and I think that since then my knowledge of video games has mostly been through osmosis. That's why today I wanted to bring in a ringer. My producer, Karen Peterson, is a lifelong gamer, and she's got a story for me. Hey, Karen. Hey, I'm thrilled to be here representing nerds. <laughs> I'm happy to have you. So, okay, we know about my mom's strict rules. How did your parents think about video games when you were growing up? I mean, I think the rule in my head was pretty unclear, but the gist of it was basically that I could wake up as early as I wanted to because my parents were trying to encourage early rising and I could play video games until they woke up. Um, so I would wake up at like four or five in the morning Stop. and start playing video games that were way over my head at the time. Like Final Fantasy was one of those games that I played incredibly early and had no idea what was going on. Um, I'm sure they didn't think you would take it to that extreme. No, I, they were like, oh, she's lazy. So she'll wake up at eight, we'll get up at nine, and then we'll limit our screen time just by default. Meanwhile, you have four hours of video games in before the sun They sunrises. wake up and I'm bloodshot, <laughs> <laughs> just sitting on the floor in the living room. Yeah, it was that kind of childhood. But also, I mean, like, my dad also played video games a little bit, so he would bring my sister and I in for co-op video games that we would play all together. But, like, the real holy grail of my family was definitely my cousins who had a Nintendo 64. We were all very, very close. We would travel kind of back and forth right. between the houses. Yeah. And I would just sneak off from every family party to go play, like, <laughs> Super Mario 64 or GoldenEye, which is, like, a James Bond, like, shooting game. Yeah, yeah. And that is why you're in the studio today. Yes. So I want to tell you a story about Nintendo. And my story actually starts in 2002. 2002 was the year that Hiroshi Yamauchi stepped down as president of Nintendo. And Satoru Iwata ended up becoming the fourth president in the company's history. Right, right. It was an incredibly important transfer of power because Iwata was the first president in the company's 113-year history to not be from the Yamauchi family. Wait. So 113 years in 2002. So Nintendo had been around since 1889? Yep. Wow. Yeah. They weren't always a video game company. I mean, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nintendo actually like started out making playing cards. And that's what they were known for when Hiroshi Yamauchi took over as president in 1949. Um, and he's actually seen as like one of the most important people in not only Nintendo history, but like video game history. The because, whole industry, yeah. Because he's like what made them into a video game company. They went from just kind of like a physical toy company to a huge video game empire. 
So by 2002, when he's leaving, he's leaving a company that looks entirely different from the company that existed when he first started. And he's kind of leaving it in the hands of this outsider for the first time. Yeah. So, okay. So who was this new guy? So Satori Iwata was a programmer and he was actually president of HAL Laboratories from 1992 to 2000. HAL Laboratories is another video game company and they make a very famous character. He's pink. He eats everything. Oh, Kirby. Yes, they make Kirby. So in 2000, he was the head of the corporate planning division at Nintendo. And then when he took the company over two years later, it was kind of in like eh, shape. Like it was profitable, but it for sure was not keeping up with what was also going on in the rest of the industry. So Nintendo had just come out with the GameCube, but sales were stumbling compared to their competitors like PlayStation 2 or the Xbox, which had just come out at the time. Right. And they were massive. Yeah. So they're facing this entire industry that's kind of like outpacing them. And then at the same time, you have online gaming, which is also becoming a big thing for the first time ever. Mm -hmm. Um, And Nintendo got into a lot of trouble really early on for not really expanding into that space fast enough. So around this time, the context for you is that games are getting much more complicated. And Nintendo is kind of like digging in their heels, fighting for more simplicity. So Iwata comes in at this huge crossroads. Yeah. And he has pretty huge shoes to fill. Yeah, but honestly, like, within two years, Nintendo seems to be back on their feet again, um, which is why, like, in 2004, when Nintendo comes out with the DS, it was such a huge deal. Like, the Nintendo DS, do you remember Game Boys? Yes, Game Boys I remember. Yeah, so this is, like, the first time that they really stepped up the idea of a Game Boy. It had a touchscreen, which was a huge deal. Um, in 2004, of- for sure. That was... yeah. Really early. Yeah, it's like technology that no one else was really getting into quite yet. Nintendo was back on top of of being kind of like the forward-thinking company. Mm -hmm. The DS ended up being so popular that it ended up challenging PlayStation 2 for like the best-selling game platform of all time. And then, within another two years, they've outdone themselves again. We gave you DS, a new Game Boy, and new games to play on them. And now you say, you want a revolution? Well, we've got one. So that's actually Iwata himself speaking right there. And he's presenting at Nintendo's 2005 presentation at E3, which is this huge trade event that happens every year for people in the video game industry. Yep. And Nintendo makes a lot of their like biggest product announcements at E3 every single year. In this video, he's standing on stage and he's holding this black box. And that's what eventually ends up becoming the Nintendo Wii. Right. So their internal code name for the Wii was actually Revolution, which is why he said that. And it's actually, like, I kind of feel like that's a kind of badass name compared to the Wii, but... That's cocky, too. That's like, you're you're calling it. Yeah, like, you want a revolution? Here it is. Right. So did you ever play the Wii? So I did. I think everyone played the Wii. I played the bowling game. I played uh, the, like, all the little Olympian games. I played... God, whatever you could get on the Wii in the beginning. I actually, it was the only video game system I've ever bought because I knew my um, my partner at the time really wanted it. And so I bought it off like eBay for Aww. a ridiculous surcharge um, and got it for him for Christmas. But uh, yes, yeah, so the, I have fond memories of the Wii. 
I like I also remember the Wii pretty fondly. I got really into Wii Fit, which if you remember that was their fitness game. Yeah. Yeah. So and it was this weird kick that Nintendo went on for a while about like health craze and trying to do like wellness games. Yeah. So the I was schools like, got into it. It yeah. was actually a big deal. And the reason I actually ask you this is because it's really telling to me that you well, like who is a self-proclaimed like non-gamer yeah knew the Wii and you also knew other people who played the Wii because the Wii considering the fact that they called it a revolution which is pretty cocky it actually really was because Nintendo was doing something that was completely unheard of which was getting people off the couch right because it was it was all motion controlled which meant that they were opening up gaming to an entire new group of people who had never played video games before. And it kind of flies in the face of everything we know about video games, which is you sit on the couch at 4 a.m. Yeah. and you play with a, with, exactly. with a little device. And yeah, it was, there was something really different about it. Yeah, it, compl- it, cha- it also like just challenged stereotypes of video gamers from being people who were like sitting in their parents' basement to kind of just like a general, like your grandmother could even really play the Wii like she could do the bowling game mm-hmm. you know if her hips stay intact yeah <laughs> but like the oh, Wii grandma. was in many ways like the perfect video game console for people who had never played video games ever yeah or at least very rarely exactly we would like to play this is one of the earliest commercials for the Wii um, and the early marketing for the Wii almost all used this tagline, which was, we would like to play, which they, you just heard them say. And I think it's kind of perfect, like as a thesis, because it kind of encapsulates everything that Nintendo was going for at the time, mm-hmm. which was reintroduce this idea of casual gaming. But the problem is, while you're introducing this casual gaming idea, you're kind of alienating the hardcore gamers that have been around for a while. Yeah. The hardcore gamers, if you think about it, they've been incredibly understanding and like, excited and on board for all these technological advancements so they were all on board for going from the clunky home console to the game boy which you can like bring on on a car trip sure yeah they went from black and white to color they went from like they were all really excited about the idea of a touch screen Mm -hmm. all these things that they were on board for but then for them these motion controls and this casual gaming idea just seems kind of goofy I hate this. Wee! I hate this. Wee! I hate this. Nintendo. Hi. I hate this. Wee! I hate this. Wee! I hate this. A lot of people hated it. And I want to say a lot of people because not everyone hated it. I was a diehard. Uh, <laughs> and I was also a teenager at the time. So I was like, all right, I, I want to see this. I want to play. And I guess in the back of my mind, I was thinking I really want to see how my youngest brother plays with this this is jennifer birch and she's like a ride or die nintendo fan like she just said right and she's also a contributor to nintendo wire which is this website that covers all things nintendo and she talks about the company kind of like it's another member of her family (laughs) and she told me the story about her brother who's on the autism spectrum so as you probably know people with autism struggle with like social interaction um they often have some kind of sensory impairment and they often struggle with motor skills right so the Wii kind of puts all of those things to the test my parents used to be gamers they were into like the bar scene and arcade scene back in the 70s and 80s and they would play a little bit of games in the 90s and then my dad found a few things he liked but I convinced my mom the year that the Wii had came out I'm like this is what we're getting for Christmas. I was like, my brothers and I wanted a GameCube a few years ago and we got an Xbox. So you guys owe me on this one. (laughs) 
So anyway, her mom went and she stood in those long, long lines at Costco because it was the only place that still had Wii's at the time. Mm -hmm. They were so popular. She finally manages to get her hands on one. Christmas morning rolls around and then they set it up. My parents were just shocked because he, he fell in love with the bowling game from Wii Sports and it was just like a light bulb went on and it was, oh my God, he wants to play. He's not putting it down. He's engaged. He's doing well. He's not getting upset. It's fun. This is something he wants to do. He's being verbal. It was just this light switch on for my parents of, oh my gosh, this is what it can do. And it was so interesting over the next few years to see his classmates and friends who are also on the spectrum or are, you know, diagnosed with OCD or a few other mental classifications that how they approached and took to the system. And it was that moment of, okay, cool. I get this uh, with my brothers. Like we, we get a new video game system, but at the same time it was like, oh, hey, I did something cool for my brother. And to this day, I have him hooked on video games, which my parents don't mind that much now. And honestly, like, this is just one family, right? Like, there are a million other stories out there about the Wii and what it meant at the time. Yeah. Like, it just felt different. And Nintendo was, like, on top of their game at this point. But then, you fast forward six years, and Nintendo's been working on a cool new thing. Everyone's like, what's it going to be? What's it going to be? Especially after the last one. Right. Like, change the world of gaming, and yeah. now it's been six years. We can't wait. They have a presentation scheduled at E3, and Reggie fils who's the president and COO of Nintendo for America, he gets on stage toward the end of the day. It was clear how much fun we all had playing together, even with people who weren't gamers before. But in thinking about a new Nintendo system, we knew the prevailing thought would be this. Yes. The game will probably still be right for all of us, but could it also be a perfect fit just for you? And the answer to that question is an emphatic, absolutely. In fact, we're so convinced of it that we put that pronoun right in the name. So today, welcome to the world of we, you. Okay, so that's just a really bad pun. Yeah, it's not great. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, you think about, like, Jennifer. She's a Nintendo super fan. Right, yeah. Even she was waiting this one out. Personally, I was like, I'll, I'll wait. I'm not going to get the system until I get a game that will make me, you know, dive in. But it, it was so easy to get because people weren't buying it. There's a lot of problems that Nintendo had right up front. The first one was the name. Like, you just groaned at it. It's There's really a, bad. It's really not great. They went from the revolution yeah. to Wii U. They're competing against themselves by not giving it an original name. Right. They made a truly confusing marketing pitch, uh, which... <laughs> <laughs> confusing is kind. But it made no sense. It was really hard to understand if this was a new console like an add-on to an existing console. Right, yeah. Maybe just like a new controller type even. To give you an example of this, it wasn't until a few years ago that someone actually told me that the Wii U wasn't just an add-on. Like, I thought it was Wii University. I thought it was an <laughs> educational add-on for the Wii. And someone finally was like, no, 
There's all these games that only exist on the Wii U. Nintendo homeschooling. Literally, I thought it was like (laughs) their foray into educational video games. And I was like, I'm all for it, but I'm not going to go for it. (laughs) I don't blame you. I blame Nintendo. I I blame Nintendo as well. I'm like... (laughs) But anyway, there also just, like, weren't many popular video games on the system. They had Mario Brothers on the Wii U, and they also had a new Mario Kart, which are two big names, but it just wasn't enough. And on the back end, for developers, it was actually a really complex process to build something for the Wii U, which meant that Nintendo was kind of on its own, and that meant that there just wasn't that much to do on it. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And then in the meantime, other companies are coming out with more advanced graphics and kind of catering to those more hardcore gamers again. They're going in a totally different direction. Exactly. Hmm. The Wii U becomes the slowest selling Nintendo platform of all time. Satori Iwata actually cuts his salary in half around this time because sales were so bad. And then in 2012, the company went through its first operating loss since entering the video game industry 30 years prior. God, that is awful. Yeah. Unfortunately, we have to take a break, but we'll be back with more after a message from our incredibly impressive, attractive sponsor, ourselves. (laughs) You're probably listening to this podcast because you want to know what it takes to grow a business. And to do that, you need to know strategy, marketing, sales, and everything in between. If you want to fine-tune some of those skills yourself, head over to HubSpot Academy. They offer entire courses as well as shorter individual lessons on blogging, user experience, inbound marketing, sales, even Facebook marketing. Check out their entirely, completely, totally free training at HubSpot.com grow. Did I mention they're free? Go to HubSpot.com grow. That's H-U-B-S-P-O-T dot com slash grow. Sign up for your first class and get started growing your business. Welcome back. So today we're talking about Nintendo, and I'm here in the studio with producer and video game player Kieran Peterson. Kieran, when we left off, Nintendo was in pretty bad shape. Yes, definitely. So in the wake of all these really disappointing numbers around the Wii U, there's a small team of engineers and designers that sprung up to work on a new project, a kind of like mysterious internal project. That yeah. The whole idea of it was to bridge this divide that had been growing between like the casual gamers and the hardcore gamers. And what they wanted to do was kind of come up with some combination where they could bring in the really good parts of mobile gaming with the really good parts of having a home console. Right. It's Okay, so that's really interesting considering how much flack they had gotten for not getting involved with mobile gaming in the first place. Yeah, definitely. There were like a lot of people on the outside also around this time who were really wondering whether or not Nintendo was going to even stay in the console game at all. Because, I mean, we've been talking a lot about the hardware and these consoles, but the other huge part of Nintendo that we haven't really been talking about as much are these huge game franchises. Right, yeah. Like Zelda, you have Mario, you have Donkey Kong, you have Pokemon, you have all these other things. I mean, they could just go forward with game development and not even worry about hardware. Um, But then we get to 2014, E3 rolls around again, and Nintendo announces that Iwata is actually not going to be attending because he's having health problems. Later that month... They tell shareholders that he actually underwent surgery to remove a tumor from his bile duct. He was in recovery for a couple of months, and he seemed to be getting better. But then the news dropped. 
The chief executive of the Japanese video games company Nintendo, Satoru Iwata, has died. He was 55 and had been treated for cancer. One of the most overused words in the English language is unique. Satoru Iwata is one who clearly was unique in the fullest meaning of the word. This was an incredibly emotional time. For Nintendo, obviously, but also for the gaming industry and community in general. When he became president, it really stands out to me how much he was able to just capture the hearts and minds of gamers everywhere. Mm -hmm. There were memorials all over the world. And to give you a sense of like just how popular he was when he passed away, there was actually a typhoon happening during his funeral, which was held in Kyoto in Japan. And even though the weather was obviously terrible, more than 4,000 people showed up over the course of his two-day funeral. And then for two years, Nintendo kind of went dark. You didn't hear much from them, except for the rumblings of something called Nintendo NX, which is the thing that I mentioned before. It was a project headed up by this really small team. And Iwata was actually the lead developer on NX before he died. Wow. And then finally, in March of 2017, they release the result of that project, which is the Nintendo Switch. You're looking at a Nintendo Switch right now. Yeah. You might remember that I mentioned that this whole point of this project was to bridge this divide between casual and hardcore gamers, right? Right, yeah. And so what they thought they would do is build a home console that was able to be brought on the go, on the bus, on the car ride, wherever. And if you look back, you can see pretty clearly that they learned from the launch of the Wii U in launching the Switch. The Switch has obviously a new name, new logo, and a whole new look. And it honestly doesn't really look like anything that Nintendo had ever made in the last decade. That's true. And it's also just slick. So like three clicks on a button and all of a sudden you're just playing a game. It feels less like a console, like a clunky console, and more like an iPad starting up. Yeah. Or an iPhone. And beyond that, they also just launched with like a ton of really exciting games. So first and foremost of the time was definitely Zelda Breath of the Wild, which is this like huge open world, beautiful game. You've probably heard about it. Yeah, there are just the fanaticism around Zelda is it permeates the world. And they like doubled down on that fanaticism and gave everyone exactly what they had been looking for for the past decade. Which is important because, you know, the Wii U didn't have very many games, right? I mean, And it had a Zelda. And did. actually the Wii U has Breath of the Wild. But like since the platform itself was so poorly designed yeah. and had all these other problems, the people were just weren't interested. Okay. So, so they you have give Breath of the Wild, which is this like huge, beautiful game. But they also announced updates to these other huge series with games like Splatoon 2 and Mario Odyssey, which is kind of like an update to Super Mario 64, Okay, but like way better. <laughs> and I think honestly, one of the big keys to the Switch launch was this huge stable that they had of, of indie games. So the Wii U struggled, if you remember I mentioned, because it was really hard for outsiders to build something on the platform. Yeah. And the Switch is the exact opposite. There, if you look on the, the store that they have, the majority of the games are not from Nintendo and they're from these small independent developers who are just making really interesting stuff. Not all of them are great, but they're all really interesting. Yeah, they prioritize that. Exactly. It seems like to me, from like an outsider perspective, that Nintendo was just finally listening to their fans. And the numbers kind of backed them up. They actually sold 5 million Switches by the end of last year, which is the highest 10-month total of any video game system 
in U.S. sales history. Yikes. Which even beats the Wii. I actually had no idea it was that massive. It's huge. The biggest problem that Nintendo faced a couple months ago was just keeping the Switch on shelves. Yeah. Because they were selling out so quickly. All right, so speaking of shelf space, what happened to the Wii U? So this is sad. It <laughs> lingered for a while, but Nintendo has been pretty quietly shutting down new production of the Wii U. Mm-hmm. Um, in November of, of 2016, they actually announced that they were going to stop shipping new consoles to North America, which is kind of like a death. Now. Yeah, that's it. That's the end. Yeah. It's kind of sad. Mm-hmm. But I, I mean, the Wii U, for all of its faults, I, I truly believe that the Wii U is an important step towards what would eventually end up becoming the Switch. Like, in my opinion, you don't get the Switch without the Wii U. Yeah, you have to go through that to understand what you missed. Exactly. It's like life. Like life. <laughs> The whole thing that Nintendo was trying to do, right, for the last 20 years, 30 years, is kind of bridge this gap between casual gaming and hardcore gaming. Right. There are these two camps, and they're getting more and more polarized. So the real test is whether or not Nintendo was actually able to bridge that gap. But I think it's important that, like, there at least is a company out there that is still trying to solve this problem. Yeah. Like, that seems significant to me, that we're not just giving up on people like you who could really enjoy video games and like you have a daughter yeah like you could be convinced to make it a part of her life even though it wasn't necessarily a part of yours yeah well and it's funny like um so I didn't grow up with video games as we mentioned uh my husband did and it was a huge part of his life his his brother and he played all the time mm-hmm. and so you know we've actually talked about it like when we look at our daughter do we limit screen time like you know Mama Kini style, or <laughs> do we uh, expose her to this world, which is full of creative work and and has built relationships, basically? Yeah. Uh, and you know, I I think we we got to kind of do the Nintendo thing and fall somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I think that's the only really logical place to land. Yeah. All right, Karen. Well, thank you for coming in. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. It's been awesome. Yeah. All right, so you want some help with the credits? Yeah, sure, let's do it. All right, so today's episode is produced by Kieran Peterson. That's me. Very lovely woman. And also, I really want to thank Jennifer Birch and everyone at Nintendo Wire. Jennifer wrote a really beautiful piece for Nintendo Wire about her love for the Wii U, uh, one of the few, and what it meant for her family. So we'll have that actually, right, in the newsletter this week? Yes, please, please subscribe to the newsletter. It's my baby. <laughs> Kieran pours over this thing. You guys I have to read it. I love the newsletter. And you can find it at our website. So that's at thegrowthshow.com, www.thegrowthshow.com. Right. And you can follow us on Twitter, at The Growth Show. And if you haven't subscribed to the show, please do. You can find us anywhere you get your podcasts. Megan, I want you to give people a little bit of a hint of what we're going to be talking about next week. you mind? Yeah, absolutely. So next week, we're talking about a famous cartoon monkey that escaped from the Nazis and what he has to do with the future of brick-and-mortar retail. Casual. Very casual. It's going to be great. So get excited. Rate, review, subscribe. Send nice notes to me at our email address. That's hello at thegrowthshow.com. Absolutely. I'm Kieran Peterson. And I'm Megan Keeney Anderson. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Do you know our last names kind of rhyme? Peterson and Anderson? Yeah.